the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, some of you need to be, as soon as we finish here, you need to be sending a text or you need to sit down and write a thank you note because somebody invested in you. Maybe it's a person that introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it's a person that has just met your needs or healed your hurts or, or told you truth in Jesus' name. And you need to say thank you. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. So glad you've chosen to be here. Do me a favor, whether you turn it on or whether you take it out, look in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. In just a few moments, that's where we're going to read from the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. Last Sunday, we started this series that we've called the Sermon on the Mount. Creative, huh? It's the title given in Scripture to the greatest message ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever communicated. His name is Jesus. Last week, we began to look at the beginning of that. It's called the Beatitudes. Now, it's important that you understand where this is in the life of Jesus. He was born, but he then grew up. So now he's been baptized. And did you know that? Jesus modeled baptism. It's one of the reasons we practice that as a church. We're following in the footsteps, not just in the obedience of Jesus. He was baptized. He's been tempted. And maybe you didn't know that. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. And yet he did not sin. He's called his disciples. So those names that we begin to hear, the, the closest followers, he's already enlisted them to come after him. And now this is almost like his public debut. He, he's preaching this message and he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Every one of these begins with the word blessed or blessed. Now, that in and of itself needs a little bit of an explanation because that's kind of a churchy word. You don't hear that a lot unless you hang out in church or if you grew up in the South. Because if you grew up in the South, sometimes someone would just look at you and shake your head and go, bless your heart. But we do hear that in church. We hear blessed or have a blessed day. What does it mean? Some have said it simply means happy. And so they look at these eight things and they say this is a pathway to happiness. This is how you can be happy in life. As you'll see in a minute, that doesn't quite make sense because it doesn't even sound very happy, these things. So I, I begin to tell you, I think there's more to that meaning. It, it speaks of fulfillment. It speaks of flourishing. It, it, it speaks of having the life-giving power of God. So we looked at this as the life path for disciples of Jesus, because that's who he was speaking to. He gathered his disciples, maybe as many as a few thousand other people listened in, but Jesus was gathered with his disciples 
And he was telling them how to live as a disciple of Jesus, how to live the Christ life. So remember those eight things? Let me just go through those because I think it sets the tone for even the passage we're going to read today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you see how it's kind of weird? It's different. You don't think about being poor in anything as being a blessing in your life. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? I know what it's like to mourn, to walk through grief, to have hard times. That's the blessed life? Blessed are the meek. Another word we don't really even use, but, but what does that mean? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he caps it all off by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. That does not sound fun nor happy. Yet we said it kind of illustrates how you live the Christ life. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, there was a moment in your life where things changed. So that's the first news flash for you today. Nobody's ever always a Christian. I meet people sometime and, hey, when did you begin this relationship with Christ? Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Doesn't work that way. There was a, a, a moment in time where, where you were born into the family of God. And the Bible calls that being saved or it calls it being justified. There's a moment where it was just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. And Jesus described that moment in those first three Beatitudes. It's, it's recognizing that you're poor in spirit. It's being broken before God. It's mourning over sin, realizing, wow, it's not just that I did something bad and I'm in trouble. I hate that I've offended the holiness of God. It's being meek where, where in humanity you cry out to God and you surrender to his control. That's what it means to be justified. But the Bible also speaks of salvation as being sanctified. That's the process those of us who are followers of Jesus are in right now. We're, we're on the journey. I spent about an hour talking with someone this week that, that I'm going to be doing business with. And they're, they're helping me with one of my automobiles. And we just began to talk about the Christ life. And he said, man, I'm still under construction. And I said, you, if there was one sign I wore around my neck, it would be under construction. God's not finished with me yet. I'm being sanctified. And so Jesus illustrated that by saying you're beginning to hunger and thirst out of the things, after the things of righteousness. I'm not there yet, but I'm hungering and thirsting after those things. And so I begin to be merciful to other people. Or I begin to be pure in heart. God, God changes me from that heart of stone to that, to that heart that is like his. I heard the testimony of someone sharing that this week about their son, how, how they never thought their, their son could be on fire for God, and yet their life was changed. They were bitter toward the things of God and making all kind of rat, wrong choices, but then they followed Jesus, and, and he just changed their heart, and now they were in ministry becoming a pastor. That's a change that takes place in that sanctification process, and, and then you even you, you, you get to that point where it's not just you're, you're pure in heart, but you begin to be a peacemaker. You begin to look at others around you 
And you begin to see how you might share with them the love of God. All of that sanctification. But, but, but the Bible also says that one day we will be glorified. There's glorification where we see Jesus face to face. Now, this is primarily a gathering of the saints. So that's something more than one of you should be satisfied. Aren't you excited about seeing Jesus face to face? Aren't you excited about the hope? of heaven, of being glorified. And yet Jesus even, he, he talks about that in kind of a weird way. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because you're going to see Jesus. <laughs> you see, this is a different way. You know, if you or I would have kind of designed the Christian faith, we probably would have said, hey, if you just do these few things, your life's going to be okay. We're American. We would say you'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We would probably say you'd have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. But Jesus didn't do that. His way was different, counter to the culture. And that's what he was showing the disciples about their journey. It's going to be different. Happiness or fulfillment or blessing in life is not based on what you have or what you do, but who you are in Christ. And when I hear that, it reminds me of something I heard in the TV show, The Chosen. Let me see your hands if you've watched any of The Chosen kind of interesting. It's a TV show that was crowdsource funded. In other words, it, it didn't come out of Hollywood. Some, some people made this because people like you helped fund The Chosen. But it's a, a TV series now in the third season about the life of Jesus and his followers. And there's a scene where he's calling Matthew. And Matthew would write these words that we're reading in the Sermon on the Mount. Watch this scene. It's kind of interesting. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. Don't you love that? Simon, who would be called Peter. You know, he's looking at what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is calling Matthew, this tax collector. He's not one of us. I mean, what are you doing, Jesus? This is different. And Jesus, with the ultimate mic drop, says, get used to different. And I think that's what I want to start saying when people begin a relationship with God and get used to different. And I think that's kind of what Jesus was saying all throughout this whole sermon. Get used to different. The Christ life is different. He's challenging everything you've ever heard. And to everybody he ever met, he called them to be different. The Jesus way is a call to be different everywhere we go. Every day. Sometimes I give you a sermon in a sentence. That's it today. 
Just hold on to that. The Jesus way is a call to be different everywhere we go, every day. So we have to get used to different. All right? Say, get used to different. Let's look at these few verses. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Will you pray with me one more time? Father, with my hands lifted high, I just say we want to give you glory. We want you to be praised. Holy Spirit, with my palms before you, I pray, would you meet me in this time of need? Would you fill me so with your presence? What scripture calls an anointing, what the old preachers called an unction, would you give me your words and even your thoughts? With my arms stretched out, Jesus, I just declare I surrender. And I speak, I think, for many of us here when I would say, give us in this time what we need, yet we do not have. Teach us what we desperately need to learn from you and make us different for your glory. And Jesus, you came to die so that we might live and be different. So I would ask if there's a person here who does not yet know you, that this would be the day of their salvation. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's as if Jesus is responding to the eight directives he's just given us. These blessings, these beatitudes. And he's saying, if you're going to take this journey, I I want you to understand up front what the expectations are. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message.
No, I want you to understand that today, but I don't want you to be confused whatsoever. In this church, as we look at the scriptures, we believe we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of the Father alone. That's how we sum up our salvation experience. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of the Father alone. And that's what this is about. However, when we receive God's grace, we believe that Scripture teaches, and here we see that Jesus said that His grace in us begins to be demonstrated in and through our life. It's evident. It's not about how we become a Christian, but it's how we behave as a Christian. So that's the constant tension that we deal with in, in, in our discussions here. Because we recognize that this is kind of weird. God, who is our judge, has already declared a verdict. He looks at our life, and it should say guilty, but instead, he says free. He says clean. He's covered us with his love and his righteousness. He declares a verdict before he ever sees our evidence. We're not not guilty because of what we do. We're not guilty because of who he is and what that means and how we are found in him. Jesus is referencing in this passage then what we could call nominal Christianity. Do you know what nominal Christianity is? Let me explain that clearly. It does not mean kind of a little bit of Christianity because there's no such thing as that, right? That's kind of like you can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't have a little bit of Christianity. No, nominal Christianity means you've got Christianity in name only. So this week, Pastor Ellie and I, Ellie and I met with a missions leader from an organization that, that ministers in Pakistan. And, and he was telling us that it's going to be not many years that Pakistan is, will be the leading Muslim country in the world. It, it will become the, the country with the most Muslims in the world. And yet there are Christians in Pakistan, and some become Christian just because of their family heritage. And the state, the government recognizes that. Your ID card might say you're Muslim, but it might say you're Christian. The first time I encountered that was when I visited Jordan. And in Jordan, I discovered that the driver's license there, it has your family religion on there. So if you were born into a Muslim family, it says Muslim. If you're born into a Christian family, it says Christian. And if you're born into a Jewish family, it says Jewish. And that's very hard to change, regardless of your personal decision. It has nothing to do with your personal decision. It has to do with your name. So that's Christian in name only. But Jesus in this message is going to say there's certain, such a thing as a Christian in name only. Because at the very end of the message, when he gives us the punch, kind of the end of the message in chapter 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will, does the will of my Father in heaven. Far many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons? And in your name, did we not perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. You might have done something in my name, but it was in name only. So depart from me, away from me, evildoers. So that gives you some of the context. That's what Jesus is saying here when he talks about salt that is useless and light that is hidden. Let's spend a minute more here. Let's go back to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. 
So I want you to see something. That's a declaration, not an invitation. The Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus begging his followers to act a certain way. It's Jesus telling them who they are and in light of who they are, this is what they need to remember. We've raised four boys. We're raising a, a girl now. When all of our children would leave their house, if, if they were going to spend the night with a friend or if they were going on a trip, what, what's one of the things I would tell them? I would always tell them, remember who you are. And I would tell them, you're two things when they, when they all came to this place in life. Number one, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you represent him. And number two, <laughs> you're a purvis. And everywhere you go, you represent me. Don't you ever forget that. That's what Jesus was saying. Hey, remember who you are. Your identity precedes your activity. You are salt. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That's almost like a tongue twister. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown under and trampled underfoot. Did you ever hear about the young cross-country runner that was running his course? And man, I, I ran track and cross-country. It's hard to believe. I don't know if I could run to the back of the room today without being winded. I ran cross-country, and, and often we would go man, through the woods there in South Carolina, all over the state. And This guy was, was running. I think he was about 14 years old. A deer came out of the woods, hit him. He began to pet the deer, not knowing what to do. And as he began to pet the deer, the deer took his two front legs, put him on the young boy's shoulder, and then began to lick his neck. Yeah, it's kind of... Huh. And so when they were talking about this afterwards and trying to figure out what was going on, they discovered that this deer was low in salt. And so he was treating his neck like a human salt lick. Yeah, you know heard what a salt lick is? I mean, sometimes out in the woods there are salt licks to help these animals who need this. What was he saying? This deer needed salt. Could it be that part of what Jesus was saying is, hey, our world needs salt. And you, you Christ follower, you disciple, you are the salt of the world. And when you don't do what you're supposed to do, the world doesn't get what it needs. And you're not serving this purpose. Man, I've heard this passage taught and there's so many applications and they're okay. You can make these applications. Salt preserves. When I was growing up, my dad sometimes would leave the house early in the morning and he'd come back with a, with a bag from Hardee's. And you know why I'd love when he'd come back from a bag from Hardee's? Because he'd bring some country ham biscuits. Raise your hand if you ever had country ham. Oh, some of you are missing out. It's so good and salt. Not long ago, I drove 20 minutes to the closest Hardee's over there in Sefner just to get me a country ham biscuit in the morning. Country ham, if you looked at it after it's prepared, you would think, this is disgusting. Because the salt has been placed around it for the purpose of preserving it. And so it sits, and it has all kind of colors by the end. And you think, man, this thing is moldy and not fit for anything. But up under that preservation is some good stuff. So yeah, I mean, salt preserves, and, and there's a, a sense to where we as a church preserve 
the things of God in this world. Uh, but salt adds flavor, right? Seasoning. Sometimes we'll stop and we'll get some chips or some popcorn. And I, I don't care whether it's the oldest or the youngest woman around me, whether it's my mama or my daughter, they might say, this needs some more salt. Because <laughs> we know that salt adds flavor. Salt can be used even as, uh, for a health purpose. There's all kinds of reasons that salt is used. But the, this we know, salt is different from that which it impacts. And that's what Jesus was saying. God wants you to impact this world for his glory. And it's hard to do that when you're no different from the world. You're all right. That's something we need to hear. You you can't have the impact that God wants you to have when you're no different. We live in a world where everybody wants influence. In fact, you can be a a young teenager and, and make money as an influencer on social media. Everybody wants influence. And influence may bring some success, but impact is what gives significance. God wants you to impact this world. Charles Spurgeon said long ago, one reason the church of God has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.